What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese-American chicken tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, um, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponko is great and Ponko is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, good morning and hello and welcome to a Sunday edition, special edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. No NFL today, some XFL games later that uh, we're all just chomping at the bit for, but um, shout out to Cardell Jones. Great day yesterday, might be an NFL quarterback down the line, Who, who's to say? Um, Evan Sowards is here, he is uh, a couple weeks removed from the San Francisco 49ers falling to the Kansas City Chiefs um, and Super Bowl live. And it's been a few weeks where all the takes are out. Everything is just, it's it's settled down. And the NFL season has moved on. We are on to Las Vegas uh, for the draft um, with boats and players riding in. That's That's on the horizon. What we're forgetting is what happened in the Super Bowl. But I want to parse through everything that happened in the Super Bowl from Evan's perspective because Evan was uh very much emotionally involved in the Super Bowl, I would say. So let let's start there. Um how are you feeling post Super Bowl? You know, um I gotta say, I don't know if if I'm just really good at dealing with trauma in my my thirty early thirties or what, but I got I was pretty good the next day. I I worked the next day. Mm. Uh, and I came into work and people were like giving me hugs and like acting like it was a funeral. Um, 
you know, and I, I gotta say, I was, I wasn't happy by any means, but you know, when you're watching the Super Bowl and you're seeing that your team is winning three quarters and then that fourth quarter just kind of happened. And I, I, I gotta say as a fan, I kind of settled into the inevitability of it pretty quickly. Like I started to feel what was going on and I was like, Oh, we're not, we're not, we're not driving the ball. They are things are happening. We're getting the interception feeling great. And then nothing, no point from it. I'm like, this is bad. And, you know, it just, it, it felt inevitable. And it was one of those things where it was just like, they're going to lose, aren't they? And, uh, yeah, it was, that was a frustrating game, man. Like so many different emotions and so many different thoughts about it. I had a lot of issues with, uh, kind of what Kyle did for that game, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm better now. I was pissed for you. I was pissed because as I was watching the game and people were giving me a lot of shit going in because it seems like everybody had picked the Chiefs going in and I was uh, ardent in my belief that, no, the, the 49ers made more sense to me, the, the more complete team. This was Jimmy's coming out party. I thought that Kansas City would not be able to get home on a lot of those Jimmy G dropbacks. I thought that if I had to bet on one team to control time possession and just insert their will on their opposing team, I thought it was... The 49ers. I thought they were better at that than maybe anybody in the league this year. And they did that for three quarters. So as it was going on, people were just waiting for uh, Mahomes to break through. And he had that bad pick. And he was just discombobulated. I was like, oh, this this is what it should be. So I was looking around. I was feeling good. I was like, yeah, the, why did people doubt the 49ers? This is what they've done all season. This is what they're, they're good at. This is their bread and butter. And like you said, the fourth quarter happened. And it happened really quickly. Like the three scores in five minutes, like it all just unraveled quite fast. Um, Barnwell's piece outlining all the different play calls and everything else the 49ers did in the fourth quarter kind of um, make Shanahan look a lot better because a lot of that stuff was Jimmy G misses and they were good throws and like looking at he like missed Kittle on one route over the middle that wouldn't have been a first down and he went the wrong direction receiver ran the wrong route that kind of stuff and then obviously the Emmanuel Sanders missed like if he hits one of those the 49ers still win. And it kind of reminded me on a much smaller scale, obviously what happened with Kyle in Atlanta in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, where it, everything that had to go wrong, had to go wrong where all they just needed one thing. They just needed Matt Ryan, not to take that one sec. They just needed one thing of all the, even if all the bad stuff still happened, they still would have won. If that one thing did not go the Patriots way as well. And that's kind of what happened with the chiefs. Um, I, I, I just feel horrible for Kyle Shanahan because I think people are looking at him and play calling and like run the ball, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, they weren't doing anything on first down running football in the fourth quarter. If you like go back the second and eight and we know that second and eight running the football again is not the best strategy. And it wasn't like these were bad play calls. It was just Jimmy G missed and he got under pressure. And he also, I don't think he went at Kittle enough. And there was just, I mean, the Sanders stuff that, that just really hurts. And if he hits one of those, it's over. Um, I, I just, I felt worse for Shanahan than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, the issue that I had is kind of something that I had talked about all season long. And really, I guess my thought process was pretty straightforward. The first five or six games of the season, they were just running the ball. And everyone was like, well, this is this is so great. And, you know, I was kind of the one person that was like sitting in the background like, hey, guys, so eventually some team is going to stop the run and Jimmy's going to need to pass. So maybe like, you know, 
maybe we get him some more passes and get him comfortable passing the ball. And everyone's like, well, it's working. It's working. You know, it's working. And then kind of like throughout the whole season, I was like, you know, there were times where they did like, you know, there were some games where they really did try and stop the run and Jimmy did well. But, uh, you know, overall, I was like, I don't like how little, you know, passing, you know, how much little passing he's getting, uh, you know, kind of experience with. Like, I, I just it, it bothered me. And then obviously the first two playoff games. They, they basically don't pass the ball at all. They're able to just run completely down their throats. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, this guy has absolutely no momentum going into the playoffs with, with his passing abilities. You know, he's doing really good on play action. Um, you know, he'd always been doing good on play action. But here we are. It's the Super Bowl. He's essentially a month removed from since the last time he really had to pass the ball when he played the Seahawks. And they're going to, you know, Chris Jones is back and healthy and we're kind of going into the game. I was like, okay, well, I hope he's able to throw the ball the way he had done in earlier games this year because that's what's going to happen. And then the first three quarters, you're like, okay, well, we are running the ball. It is working. Um, And you felt like really good about it. And then, you know, they start shutting down the run. Chris Jones starts going God mode. Um, And then, you know, Jimmy's. You know, they're not getting the ball to Emmanuel Sanders, not getting the ball to George Kittle, the best offensive weapon in the NFL. It was like, I don't know. It just, it just. So for you, it was like a chemistry thing where it was just like they did not get enough reps at all going throughout the course of the playoff run. I think that's a really interesting perspective because that's not talked about enough is they were using their will, running the football, doing their trickery and their innovative scheme. But. The problem with that is there was no the variety, the lack of variety rather, um, kind of influenced how Jimmy G may have played in Sunday. Like if does he miss that Emmanuel Sanders throw? Does he miss Kittle over the middle? Does he miss those throws if he's having to do what Mahomes had to do the last couple of weeks going into the Super Bowl? Yeah. Where he got those reps. He was finding Kelsey, finding Hill, like having to play from behind, having to will this team back. Jimmy G was allowed to coast because that was the most effective way of winning football games and he was not asked to be that guy that he's shown he could be like in the saints game but he didn't have enough of those kind of reps where uh maybe that would have changed the 49ers fortune and maybe he would have been able to connect on one of those passes that he missed on um i think that i hadn't really considered that but that is definitely something that um should be looked at so um I don't know. So what do you do? Uh, How do you fix that next season? Like, because it's so it worked. So it's just weird to criticize him for it because it's like, well, I mean, Shanahan won a lot of football games doing that. But when the time came for him to really need Jimmy G to step up, he didn't have the chemistry and things like that to will this team to win because he just didn't. Yeah. Didn't do it enough in the regular season. It's that's fascinating. So here's the issue. You know, I think once they uh, they're going to lose a couple players. Um, to free agency, uh, they're going to restructure some contracts. They've already started with their center. Um, there's talk Jimmy might restructure his contact contract. Who knows? But they'll have a decent amount of cap space. Nothing crazy, but they'll definitely have time. You know, a lot of room to make some pieces. Uh, they don't have a lot of draft draft picks. They have a, a first round pick, and then I don't think anything until the fifth round. So talk of them trading back is a thing. But I think my approach to this, as much as I thought Raheem Mostert is, you know, was great this year and Matt Breida was great last year and kind of early this year, like 
if that's your goal, if you want to run the ball, I don't have an issue with it. Clearly it worked this year, but I think they need to maybe uh, look at getting kind of some higher caliber running back. You know, a lot of people think the running back position is dead and that you don't need high, you know, high talent running backs or, you know, whatever. But you you got to ask yourself if Le'Veon Bell or Saquon Bar- Barkley or Christian McCaffrey or, you know, one of those really top tier running backs was in the Super Bowl. Do you think it would have been enough for Kyle to win the game? Hmm. Like if Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, you know, Saquon, Le'Veon, McCaffrey, right? Those all-star dudes that really are perfect for Kyle Shanahan's offense. Or, I don't know, Jarek McKinnon playing a (laughs) Uh, You know, who knows? I I was never very high on Jarek McKinnon personally. Um, But, yeah, yeah, you know, Jarek McKinnon could absolutely be kind of a a lower rate. But that's my thing. So I think if you're going to fix it next year, you need to do two things. You you need uh, to either get a better running back so that you have, you know, a top tier talent where if you're going to really, you know, if you're going to lean on running the ball, you have someone that you can trust all four quarters. Um, Raheem Mostert had a great season and he had some great moments, but he's just not that guy. And I don't, I mean, people were super excited about him, but like it was Kyle's scheme. Now, if you plug in a better running back into Kyle's scheme, maybe they win that game. I don't know. On the other – Like if Alvin Kamara is – Right, there, exactly. I mean, you'd, you'd, you know, the, the, it's just it, what would it have taken to win that game? On the other side of the spectrum, I think uh, he didn't do – you know, Kyle didn't get Emmanuel Sanders the ball nearly enough. Um, him and Kittle. Like Kittle obviously had to block all game long and basically all playoffs long. So – you know, you're going to have to figure out maybe that free agency, maybe you sign, uh, you know, the best available guard. Uh, maybe you use your first round pick on a guard, um, something like that, so that Kittle doesn't have to be your sixth, uh, you know, offensive lineman next year. And he can actually go out and be what he should be, which is an incredibly o- dynamic offensive player. So, yeah. Did you notice Ben Garland at all? Because we were all amazed for weeks on end that he was able to step in the center role um, effectively. Did you notice anything in this game where it was like, oh, this this is finally a Well, so the thing, I didn't think that the offensive line played bad because it didn't. But once again, when you have George Kittle, you know, being a sixth offensive lineman, like that was kind of the focus. Um, obviously, there was one of those, uh, I don't think it was Frank Clark. I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, but, you know, one of the defensive ends on the Chiefs, just basically ran Kittle over, and they were like, you know, why, why is Kittle blocking? It's like, well, he has to. You know, Ben Garland, um, I, you know, played serviceable this year, right? Like, there was a lot of guys that played serviceable all throughout the year when Staley was out, when, uh, you know, Weston Richburg got hurt, when uh, Mike McGlinchey, you know, the right tackle, left tackle, and center all got hurt. Um, but they always had Kittle, and, you know, even Lavoy to the 6'8. Atlanta Falcons. Right, the 6'8 tight end who's a giant. Like, So that's kind of my thing. Next year I would like to focus on having a, a much more trusting offensive line that can do their thing and then maybe have you know a tight, a tight end play opposite of, of Kittle that's also uh, you know has the capability to, to do some do some damage in space and score and things like that. So the offense can open up a little bit. Have the Jimmy G takes subsided yet? Have they really <laughs> have they moved on? Have we moved past the Jimmy G is actually Kirk Cousins argument, or are we still 
wondering whether or not the 49ers are looking to get out of that contract, that team-friendly contract, and this is why you do that. Um, is the sky still falling when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo? Not obviously in the looks department. I think everybody's still on board, it seems like, on uh, Jimmy G's style choices. Um, but from a quarterback perspective, um, where where are you at and what are you seeing regarding Jimmy G and this game and his future? Yeah. Franchise well, player? the reality that people need to understand is this. People have been talking about Jimmy G all season. People talked about him during his contract. People talked about him, you know, whenever he does bad, whenever he does good. People need to understand Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch love Jimmy Garoppolo. So no matter what people want to talk about, no matter what people want to bring up in his contract, they need to understand the likelihood that Kyle Shanahan gets rid of Jimmy Garoppolo is to me like less than 0%. Like it's just not going to happen. You know, and especially when you're looking right now at the draft picks that they don't have and the money that they don't have, they're not going to bring Philip Rivers or Tom Brady's old ass in for Jimmy Garoppolo. I think this year was, uh, you for me at least, was Kyle Shanahan was holding Jimmy back all year, whether that's because it was deserved and Jimmy has some kind of ceiling that we don't know about or but because Kyle just wanted to be in control because he's got – PTSD from the Falcons Super Bowl, um, you know, Kyle was not letting Jimmy Garoppolo go out and do his thing all year. He was the lowest uh, pass attempts past 20 yards uh, of any quarterback in the NFL. Uh, you know, it's just he didn't let him do his thing. So it's a weird dynamic when you when I do feel that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going anywhere. But at the other side of the spectrum, it's like, OK, Kyle, that's your guy. Like, are if this is your guy. You're not going to let him throw? Like, you don't trust him? Like, where, 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 what am I missing? Hmm. That's like where we get the true serum out of these guys, where we're like, all right, Kyle, this is off the record. Uh, just let me know. Why were, why were you putting uh, some shackles on Jimmy G this season? Was there a reason? Do you get some Blake Bortles-y feelings about him? What, what is going on? Is there a, an actual rationale for you not letting him do his thing? I wonder what he would say. I wonder if he would just say, well, we do. Because my gut would tell me that he thinks that Jimmy G does enough for them to win a Super Bowl. But I think he would also say that, like, I'm also just not going to. I'm going to do what I'm most comfortable with week to week. Where if I believe Raheem Mostert is our path to a Super Bowl victory and our just my zone scheme and everything else, that, like, I'm going to focus on that until they make me change my change gears. And um i don't know i i think he's he's so just this is tough we would just have to get on the podcast uh, i mean to your point though here's the thing i have seen jimmy garoppolo numerous times do the things that your top tier quarterbacks need to do i have seen him throw ridiculous passes i've seen him throw bombs i've seen him be incredibly accurate incredibly efficient on third down i've seen all of these things so I know, I know that Jimmy can do it. Do we know if he can do it consistently? That's my problem. Kyle's not giving him that opportunity to do that. So, you know, I might be in in the you know in in a tiny little corner by myself, being the only person that thinks this. But I really think this is all on Kyle Shanahan. I think the way he used Jimmy all year, I think the way he used him in the playoffs, I'm putting it on him because I know Jim. To me, I know that Jimmy Garoppolo could have won that game. 
but he didn't get the chance. He didn't get the opportunity. Now there's things that go into it, right? Like obviously we're like, we'll get the ball to Kittle, but and if Kittle's not blocking, then does Jimmy get murdered? Right. So there's a lot of things that go into it. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, you need to, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to, if I'm the 49ers and I want to make another run, Trent Taylor, who the first five games of Jimmy's career as a 49er, where he was just tearing teams up and beat the number two overall defense in Jacksonville Jaguars. One of the guys that he had was Trent Taylor, the guy from La Tech, little white dude, basically mini Wes Welker, who was literally like 85% or higher on uh, third downs. He's going to come back healthy next year. He had some complications with his foot surgery, yada, 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 but he's finally out of his boot. Um, he's going to come back next year and he's, he was a very, very big safety blanket blanket for Jimmy. Um, but yeah, if I want to go make another run, you need a better offensive line. So Kittle can do his thing. You need weapons like Trent Taylor coming back and it, you know, figure out what you're going to do with Emmanuel Sanders, because there's no reason to pay him money if you're not going to throw him the ball. And there was times where Emmanuel Sanders was lighting it up hundred yard plus games, but down kind of down the end of the season, he didn't get the ball. So you got to figure out what you need to do. You've seen what happens with Emmanuel Sanders when you have a top-tier wide receiver that can be in Kyle Shanahan's offense. When he threw him the ball, the guy was lighting it up. He had, you know, multiple touchdown games, 100-yard-plus reception, you know, receiving yards. Like, you just got to figure it out. If you play that game 100 times, how many does Sam Fran? Oh, God, like 85? Right. It, honestly, I would probably say ninety. It, I really, I, I, I really do think that you saw that. One thing that I was surprised about is, and and once again, I think if you're going to ask yourself as a fan of any team, you're always going to say, I, I want less calls. Um, and I'm not going to say, oh, holding, they didn't call it, blah, blah blah. But they, you know, a, a 49ers team who their big, you know, one of their biggest uh, uh, skills and, and the most important things they have are their edge rushers and they were getting held every play, every play. So, uh, you know, it happened a little bit on the other side too. I'm not going to say that it didn't, um, but they just were not getting called on holds. And there was plenty of times where I think Nick Bosa would have absolutely murdered Patrick Mahomes had he been let go. Um, And there was like, He's getting held on every play. Like he's one of those guys. I think he's in that zone with yeah. like Nick Bosa. To stop Nick Bosa, you have to hold Nick Bosa. Yeah, hundred percent. You're like it's like trying to stop a, a moving car, right? Like it's impossible. So I don't blame him. But you know, I thought that there was a couple times where even if you're calling a you know a very you know you're, you're letting people do their thing in a game, I think there was a couple plays where I was like even the ref should have been like, okay, fuck, I have to call this, and he didn't. Um, so. I think if you do play that game a hundred times, I think the 49ers are just the better team, but that doesn't matter now. It's just got to be more annoying with Pat Mahomes because he, he was so bad the first three quarters. And we're going to forget that in the Super Bowl because he's MVP and all that kind of stuff and what he did in the fourth quarter. But when you look at the numbers of what he was in the pocket, because those throws that he was just missing, he had time. Like that was when the 49ers weren't getting home and where he was, destructive was when the 49ers did what they always did and blow up the offensive line force him outside the pocket but unfortunately patrick mahomes was better outside the pocket than in the pocket in this game like that's one of those where you're just like the whole point of building this elite pass rush is to force them on the run so that they crumble into curtain right 
Patrick Mahomes is like the only like if this is Tom Brady, if they are playing the Patriots in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady, if they get home that many times on Tom Brady, they win that game. And it's not even like close. Like Brady doesn't have a chance to do what Mahomes does in this game. Like he was the worst possible person to put in the situation. Even Lamar, I think they run rough shot. If it's Tannehill, I think they run rough shot. But Patrick Mahomes was like the worst person possible for this because he actually throws so effectively when he's forced outside the pocket and to force him into that kind of zone to find guys and let plays break open, man. Like, and of course, like Sammy Watkins, like out of nowhere, there's just, right. this is the Super Bowl. This is what happens. It's a one game sample. Crazy shit happens. But I would, if I was Robert solid, like after this game, I'm just like, what the fuck are we supposed to do with this? Like what, 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 what else could we have done really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's so, so many different ways to look at it, but I think the reality of it is, is, you know, the 49ers defense made Patrick Mahomes bad. You know, period. Patrick Mahomes had one of his worst games of the year uh, or of his career. And we're not going to remember that. And it doesn't matter. They won the Super Bowl. Andy Reid won the Super Bowl. Uh, Travis Kelsey won the Super Bowl. Mitchell Schwartz won the Super Bowl, right? Nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, you would imagine if the 49ers could have run the ball and you would have made Patrick Mahomes look bad. You're going to think that the 49ers are going to come out and uh, win that game. Uh, and that's why I think the game is interesting. You know, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, the 49ers lost a game they had no business losing. And 20 years from now, no one will talk about that. If, like, if San Francisco wins that game, who wins the MVP? Like, if they just run out the clock and they do what they well, do. What they're doing to the first Jimmy probably want to want you know let's once again let's say he connects with Emmanuel Sanders right and yeah they're gonna give it to him I think Nick Bosa was okay. the MVP I would agree I think it would have to go with someone on the Nick Bosa would have been the MVP for me maybe one of the guys that intercepted the ball um, you know those were some pivotal pivotal turnovers um, so yeah man it was. Whew. Not fun. But the one thing I will say, out of any team, and no teams ever go back um, at all, I think if any team could make it back, I think it's the 49ers. I think they're in a really good position. Um, I think they have a chance to make another run for it. And I think we're going to be looking at Jimmy Garoppolo being in his second full season. Um, so hopefully, barring injuries, you know, I think they'll, they'll have a good chance to make it back. And they got to keep their coaching staff. They kept uh, <laughs> LaFleur from joining his brother, which, I mean, there's all kinds of weird par- Like, the I love the ESPN story and the Shanahan's and LaFleur's and their relationship and all that kind of stuff. But um, being able to talk the other LaFleur into not leaving to go to Green Bay and join his brother, um, big win for them. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. Um, they did lose Joe Woods, their defensive backs coach. He will now be... Uh, what is he, the defensive coordinator for the Browns? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, keeping Saleh, keeping Shanahan, keeping this group, keeping the, the off-the-line coach, keeping the running game coordinator, like, I, I'm with you that I think there is an easy avenue to, I shouldn't say easy because the NFC, like, if this was the AFC and what they would have to deal with, I would be much more um, on board with the idea that they could go back but the NFC is just such a bloodbath that I, I don't know. It, it will be very hard for them to get back. But they're barring a, just a catastrophic injury-riddled season. I think 
if you were if all things are even and you're just looking at the collection of assets and the collection of, of guys that all the teams have in the NFC, especially the top of the NFC right now, they they have to be in that top four conversation. Like I think Seattle has some big questions and then Davion Clowney like wants to reset the edge rusher market at, and somehow he's only 26 years old which is the one of the more insane things i've seen in the last couple weeks is that Jadamian Clowney has been in the league for 13 years and is somehow 26 years yeah old. but um i don't know i think a lot of their best players are young they have questions um a little bit like sherman and guys like that and like you said emmanuel sanders kittle's contract um i don't know i i, I do wonder um what kind of changes they do make. Cause I really don't feel like they have to make any, but you kind of want to shake some stuff up just because of the kind of loss they had. So if the Falcons cut Devonte Freeman, um, fuck no, <laughs> fuck no. I am done taking old washed up Falcons players. Are you sure? Do you want to think about that a little bit more? I think the Ben Garland, Tevin Coleman, Devonte Freeman connection is all your, all, all you really need. That's just slowly but surely. Yeah. We're getting all the players from the Falcons except for the one that would actually make the team better in Julio Jones. Yeah, I don't think. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. You can have Austin Hooper, oh. though. Do the double tight end connection with Kittle. You no, know, honestly, I wouldn't mind having Austin Hooper, but we're not going to pay that guy. Somebody else can. If the Falcons pay him what he's looking for, I just. He's a solid player. He, you can find Austin Hooper. He, so. He Austin Hooper is a guy that did really well under Kyle Shanahan, and then he came to the Falcon or he stayed with the Falcons when Kyle left, and slowly but surely everyone else around him got injured, and Austin Hooper was the only viable op- option. Uh, you know, my fantasy team enjoyed Austin Hooper. That was that was fun to have him, but uh, yeah, he is going to be one of those guys that gets a ridiculous contract and then never owns, uh, you know, uh, works up to it. For sure um fine player just don't pay guys like that um what what will you remember most about maybe not even just the Super Bowl, but this 49er season and this run um if those those might be separate well i mean what i will say is this and this is corny but this season was easily the best football season i've ever enjoyed as a person as a fan um any of the above i got to go to my first ever playoff game uh, when they destroyed kirk cousins and the vikings you know, I got to see them uh, play the Panthers where Tevin Coleman, Coleman scored four rushing touchdowns on in their brand new uh, fancy jerseys. Um, you know, first time in L.A. going to the big 49ers bar here in L.A., which is absolutely absurd and fun. Uh, the team, you know, going undefeated for the first, uh, you know, five weeks and then uh, all the different fun stories. It was just a great football season for a football fan it was a great season for the 49ers uh, so much fun watching nick bosa and being like oh my god this is his first year we've got at you know nick bosa will i hope be with the 49ers for his entire career because he is that damn good um but you know it's just so much fun such a great season you know having losing the super bowl is like ruins it kind of a little bit but the season was amazing Ultimately, who do you think spends more time thinking about the Super Bowl this offseason? Jimmy Garoppolo and making those th- at least one of those throws or Kyle Shanahan and his play calling in the Kyle, quarter? Kyle, 100%. I, once again, I think, you know, if I'm putting the blame on anybody this season, this playoffs, the Super Bowl, I'm putting it on Kyle. 
I'm not putting it on Kyle, on Jimmy, who's had absolutely no opportunity to get good uh, and get comfortable making the plays that he, you know, at the end of the game, they're like, hey, that thing we haven't let you do all year. Well, we need you to do it now for the biggest game of the year to win the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm putting that one on Kyle. I think Kyle's going to have to spend the whole year going, okay, now I have. Uh, two case studies on how not to win a Super Bowl, and he's going to have to figure out what what needs to happen. But you know, this is the guy that went straight straight to Bill Belichick and was like, "How the fuck did you do that?" So I think he's got it in him to to kind of figure it out, and uh, we'll see what happens. Kyle, I'm with you. Evan's still with you, kind of on the fence these days, but I am. I will ride for you, and. Uh, you know what? Every team that like just loves to make fun of Kyle Shanahan, and I'm like, this dude's been to two Super Bowls now. He is uh, just he can craft all kinds of great offenses, no matter what the pieces are. He knows what he's doing. He's made some mistakes, but like your franchise would kill to have Kyle Shanahan running it. Kyle Shanahan is like, well, it's just it's so frustrating with stuff like that. Where I'm like, okay, would you rather have Mike Vrabel, God no, Matt Patricia, Sean McDermott? Or would you rather have Kyle Shanahan? I, I in where the league is right now and where it's going, Kyle Shanahan is one of the most valuable head coaches and just coaching commodities in football. And he'll figure it out. The 49ers will be fine. I don't think they're going backwards. Um, it's just fingers crossed on injuries and uh, what Jimmy G does under pressure next year. So we'll have to monitor. Um, Evan, this has been a fun season. I appreciate uh, you joining me. Uh, for the ride. Sorry, did not end like you may have wanted, but um, next year's another year. We got more football. The football's never going to go away. Never, never. No, yeah. You know, it's funny is uh, we're no, we're a little less than a month or a little over a month away from the NFL draft, and uh, you know, I think I I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be in LA during uh, spring and summer because I feel like it's going to go by pretty quickly, uh, just because how crazy and nice LA is. So I'm like, in, in my head, I'm going to blink in football. We're going to be back to uh, preseason games in August. Yeah, uh, I am excited. But uh, yeah, all right, Evan. Well, um, I guess we'll part with this. Uh, White Claw, what is your favorite flavor? Me personally, my favorite flavor is uh, lemon lime, but they just came out. Yeah, but you got to understand, my, my drink of choice is, is a tequila soda with lime. So I am already like predisposed to liking uh, lemon lime, but I will say mangoes obviously fire. Um, but I want to try these three new that just came out, the three new flavors mm. coming out. They just came out with lemon, watermelon, and uh, tangerine. And I, from what I hear, the grapevine is that tangerine is is that new fire. I would not be surprised. I'm glad you said tangerine because tangerine Lacroix undefeated it's the best Lacroix favor and i love that no one drinks them at the store because they're they're always there so this kroger i go to like i can always find my tangerine flavors tangerines are the most underrated fruit Dude, very home. very low-key very very high dropout capital <laughs> all right brother like kyle shanahan and john lynch finding gyms yep. finding our raheem mosterts in the Lacroix aisle <laughs> all right brother i will talk to you soon all right that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. 
Um, it helps the show continue to grow and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash chase Thomas writer. Um, for as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas. You could go to chase podcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need. Um, and all of my writing that, uh, I'm doing fairly often these days, um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But, uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.